This is, um, this is a really important time for prayer. This is a time when God has been moving us forward. This is a time when we have been hearing about the need to be aware that as we move forward, so the serpent can try to catch us on the heel. Um, and we know that God's been releasing testimony amongst us. We know that he's been setting people free. And I believe that as we meet together this Tuesday, we have a chance to, uh, to take a day to pray and to fast into the things that we're facing as, as a church. I believe that this season change is a really important thing to be holding in your heart as you fast, if you can fast with us today, this, uh, this Tuesday. You know, to be the processing of, what God's, word has, of God's word to us. The spirit of testimony that he's been raising up amongst us, that we believe that God is causing new life to, to spring forth from the body. And that's, that's happening. We're seeing it. But we need to pray for more. And um, there are important developments ahead for us. We know that we don't stay the same. So as we change and as we grow, we need to know that we're bringing those things to God. So on Tuesday, that will be one of the main emphases we'll be, do, we'll be following through on. And part of that will be in our praying for John, as we pray for him at this time, when it seems that his activities physically are going to have to be diminished, um, that God actually uses this time to download something fresh to him. He who watches over us doesn't slumber or sleep. God wasn't caught napping when John fell down the stairs. And I don't understand what God had in mind when it happened, but I know that he can use this time, and we need to get behind what God can do. We've also got this um, children's workers weekend with, well, it's not really a children's workers weekend, but we've got this weekend with Rachel Turner, who's going to be talking to us as a church about parenting children for a life of faith. And that's a big thing coming up, and we want to be praying into that as a church, that we actually catch hold of what God could be doing in that. So those are the things that are on the agenda for Tuesday night. I think it will be a really important time. And um, so I just thought I'd, I'd set that out for you. So that's first Tuesday prayer this, surprisingly enough, Tuesday. Excellent. Okay, I've got my magic thingy. Look, look at that. Woo. Excellent. Whatever you do. It's a good title for a talk, that I thought. Well, whatever you do. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, always give 100%, unless you're donating blood. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. Yeah. I was talking to him about this, and he found it on the computer. It was one of the various images that came up when you searched for whatever you do. Uh, I thought that was quite a good one. Um, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, he wrote these words. And this is really what I want to talk to us about today. And we're going to look at this, certain aspects of this together. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The message translates this as, let every detail of your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the, of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father 
every step of the way. Last week we were looking at thankfulness and the release that that can give. And I want to tie that with our ability to serve. Because actually, it's those two things that have to work together. In that verse, we've got both things there. We've got the the things that we're doing, and we've got the thanking God. So I want us to just unpack a bit what that might look like. Um, and, And I've got a couple of stories. I haven't got any videos today. I haven't even got a song. I found some very, very cheesy songs on the internet about this, and I thought I could have brought one of those, but I decided not to. I thought I would, uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so today we've been giving thanks for babies. Well, one of the things that generally uh, that we might associate uh, around the idea of babies, in fact, is, is weddings and things. And, um, and uh, I thought we'd go to Cana. Um, it's a very, it's a nice picture here, lovely, lovely picture. It looks just like out of a, a nice Sunday school brochure, isn't it, really? Um, and the fellow there is saying, oh, I like this. So what we're going to do is we're just going to look through the story and we're going to see why he's saying, oh, I like this. Um, some of you who might be, um, who might have seen a Rowan Atkinson sketch, there's a bit where he starts to read this. Has anyone ever seen Amazing Jesus by Rowan Atkinson? Hmm. It's very naughty. Yeah, some of you have, because you were at my house on Friday. <laughs> anyway, um, I'll come on to the Rowan Atkinson joke later, if, if you're lucky. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, says Jesus, why do you involve me? One translation might be, or better translation might be, what's it got to do with us? We're only guests. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. I just want to remind you, ceremonial washing, later in another part of the Gospels, we read about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Around mealtimes, there was always a lot of washing going on. Probably quite a good idea, actually, in those days, considering what was outside. But these stone washing jars would have been what you put the water in to wash your feet, or your hands. And, uh, and so they were, they were like, I don't know, I suppose it would be the equivalent of... Um, it's making me think of a water butt. I don't know why. But it's, it's something that you put a large amount of water in, okay? Um, and it's for washing, not for drinking, but for washing. So Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now go and draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. There's a bit of a pattern here. And the master of the banquet tasted the water. Oh, that's there. And he's saying... See, I've lost my place now. Um, Taste the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants knew. Mm. <laughs> then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone, who brings out, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after. The guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. This, the first of the miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Cana in Galilee. Thus he revealed his glory 
and his disciples put their faith in him. Um, in the Rowan Atkinson sketch, there's much hilarity around the fact that the guy who's in charge of the feast doesn't know where the water's come from, but the servants in the kitchen, they know where the water's come from. And there's this sort of implication that it may not have been the best water possible. Certainly wasn't in the, in the kind of container you would normally draw wine from. Okay? So I want to look at, at this as an example of whatever you do. Okay? So when you're involved in a situation where Jesus says, do something, I want to look at the things there are in this story that release the grace to change something that was ordinary and everyday into something that was remarkable. Okay? So the first thing is that the situation is brought to Jesus. Other significant point, Mary says, do whatever he tells you. The jars get filled to the brim, the waters turn to excellent wine, and the actions of these servants impress the master of the feast. If you want the grace of God to flow in some situation that you find yourself in, you need to bring it to Jesus. And what does that mean? It means that your attitude of heart is the next thing, to do whatever he tells you. So it means that as we come to a situation, whether we're at work, whether we're in the church, whether we're in our homes, actually, anything we come across, we can bring it to him. And we can actually bring it as an offering to him. And say, Lord, use this. Use this. Use this in worship of you. We bring it to him as we live a kingdom life, as we pray continually, as we feed on him and our in, uh, directly and in our conversations with others. The Bible tells us that obedience commands a blessing. This is both, I think, simple and hard. There are times when actually, on the simple level, it's, it's fine because actually all we need to do is get on with what he tells us to do. But actually, sometimes it'd be much easier if we could do what we kind of want to do. We have to take the position of a servant. We have to take that position, watching for his instructions. As we wait on God, you know, um, we don't... I think one of the phrases we used a little while ago, um, I've just been reminded of it now, you don't wait on God like you wait for a bus. You know that, that dreadful feeling you have when you're standing at a bus stop and there's no bus in sight and you're just waiting and waiting and you're thinking, well, I suppose these days you check out your app and you find out there's a bus due in seven minutes or something. But that, that sense of there being a desolate street, no bus in sight, and all you can do is just wait. When we wait on God, we're, it's more like waiting at tables. You're, you're actively looking to see what God wants of you. You're looking at, to see... What he to catch his eye. You know how it is when you're eating out and you go and there's the waitress or waiter zooming up and down. You go, and then they zoom past you because they're too busy. And you go, and then they zoom past you. And then, because, you know, if you're out with certain people in the church who I won't mention, they just go, <clears throat> and then immediately there's, it's like, some people get overlooked, don't they? But anyway, um, you know, we want to be those that are just there, yeah, when God calls us. The jars are filled to the brim. I think that is really important. They don't just 
you know, water wasn't easy to get hold of. They didn't just go into the kitchen and turn on the tap. But they were told to fill up these pots, these washing pots, these pots for containing washing water, and they're told to fill it up because there is no more wine. And they fill them, the word says, to the brim. Now, for a start, I would have made it quite awkward, really. You kind of, oh, they'd be very heavy. Um, and, and you kind of get the impression that, that there's a real wholeheartedness about the way that they connect here. So Jesus says, fill them. They fill them to the brim. And the wine isn't just good. It's excellent. It's the best wine they've tasted all night. You know, when you, when you serve and you give it to the Lord, and you're serving with him, the world should taste it and say, this is excellent. They shouldn't say, oh, this is not bad, you know. This is, this is actually, you know, we had another fellow a few years ago. He was nearly as good as you. Or, you know, he, you were nearly as good as him, sorry. There's something excellent about offering, when we offer service to him. When grace is active, what's produced is much better than before. Some of our serving, I think, we, we, we feel like we've got just a jar of water. And we've kind of worked quite hard to fill up the pot. But I believe that in these days, God's wanting to turn that water into wine. Something of much a higher level of richness. Remember in these days, the reason why people drank wine, they didn't drink wine like we would recognize wine. You have to kind of translate it to today. It was a much milder stuff. You drank gallons of it and it didn't have a visible effect. But what it did do is it made the water safe. So, so when Jesus is changing this water into wine, what he's doing is he's making the water safe for people to drink without getting stomach bugs. In a way, our serving does that. When we offer what we have to God, so he turns it around and he makes it not only safe but nutritious, something that gives goodness to people. Um, one of the stories which you might be familiar with that we shared on the Leaders Weekend was the story of death in the pot. Um, some rather enthusiastic uh, helpers uh, sons of the prophets, went to make a, a meal for Elisha, and uh, they collected together all these ingredients, put them all in the pot, and when they came to eat it, um, well, it just, one of them said, there's death in the pot. It's awful, basically. No one had actually died, and it was probably an exaggeration to say there was death in the pot, but it was pretty bad. So what Elisha does is he adds a handful of flour, and then this meal is made safe. In a way, there's, I'm just, here, I'm just fear, sensing as I'm sharing this, there's a kind of a parallel here between these pots of water, which are actually in a washing pot, made with normal water out of the ground, which may or may not be safe, and making it into wine, which is actually safe and good to drink. Not only safe and good to drink, but excellent. The kind of thing that when you taste it, you think, no, you know, it's not like, I chucked a handful of flour in, and maybe it's just about palatable now. What we're actually talking about is something which people go, wow, 
I wish we could have a, a parent and toddler group like that. Or, wow, I wish I could go to a language class like that one. Or, wow, I wish I could teach like that person or be in that person's class. So there's something that's of the kingdom about this, an excellence that comes. And um, it's not about our status. You know, it doesn't matter whether you are sweeping the, 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 the corridors of NASA or, or you're the astronaut in the rocket, you're still going to the moon. You know, there's a, there's a sense in which we're all engaged together in a grand task that God's called us to. And these guys, the ones that knew about the servant, knew about the miracle, were actually the nobodies. The guy in charge of the feast just knew that there was some great wine. When Jesus said, my time has not yet come, he didn't, and now, this was not a public miracle. The people that knew about it were the nobodies and Jesus and Mary. You know, so, so sometimes God calls us to do things that are unseen. But actually, it's recognized by the somebodies. And you shouldn't be discouraged by the fact that your, your work is not seen. Because Christ sees it. God sees it. And that's what matters. So our earthly status doesn't affect our, the significance of our actions. Um, one of the dodgy quotes, I'm going to probably misquote it, I was looking into this, and one of the things is something that Gandhi had said, whatever you do will be insignificant, but it, it will, it's important because only you could do it, or something like that. I think that was one of the things that Gandhi allegedly said. Now, there are some things he said that are quite helpful. I just want to actually deny that and say, what you do is extremely significant. What you do is extremely significant and has eternal consequence. No one else can do what you can do. God's created you to be you, to unlock, unlock the sheds in other people's lives that no one else can unlock. There was a picture that Alan had of a, of a sh Alan uh, Fitch had of a, of a shed. God took him to the shed, and, and the person couldn't get the stuff out. But Alan found he had the key, and he could unlock it, and he could get to the stuff that was inside it. God has given you keys. Only you can get. Only you can do use. So, I just want to encourage you to do that. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. This has been an example of something done in the name of the Lord Jesus. These are the characteristics we'd expect to see. Things like the, the, things like the obedience to Christ, the closeness with him, the, the overflowing nature of doing what he's given us to do. And then actually God gives the increase. God changes it as we offer it to him. And maybe you just feel like you've got a pot of water right now, but I believe that we should be asking God to do something with that. And look at, look at the water pot. Have you filled it to the brim? Is your heart in what you're doing? God, give me a fresh heart for the things you've called me to do, because I want to fill those pots to the brim knowing that I might look stupid if I've just got a big pot of slightly smelly water, but I believe that you can change it into wine. So the second part of that verse was, 
So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We might call it having an attitude of gratitude. I didn't come up with that. I just thought it sounded good, so I thought I'd repeat it. Sounds, sounds good. Having an attitude of gratitude. And uh, I want to tell you about ten men who were very, very gloomy. They were very gloomy because they, um, they looked like this. And if I looked like this, I think I'd probably feel pretty gloomy. They were lepers. And, and nine of them were pretty gloomy. Um, and they were gloomy because if you had leprosy in Jesus' time, you were an outcast. No one wanted anything to do with you. The only people you could talk to were the other lepers. And frankly, that wasn't much cop, I don't suppose. Um, so as, as, they are, as they are talking together here, you should also be aware that one of them is an outcast of outcasts. Because one of them comes from Samaria. So there's nine there that were Jewish before they were chucked out. And there's one that was from Samaritan, from Samaria, that's a Samaritan. And um, you kind of get the impression that if he was anyone, he would be the lowest of the low, really. So now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going through a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. Well, they were unclean, so they stood at a distance. And uh, they called out to him in a loud voice. Well, it had to be a loud voice because he was still a long way off. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. So, um, and as they went, they were cleansed. I got pretty happy about that. One of them, when he was healed came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, now, to be honest, I like this story, apart from the ending. When particular... I feel Jesus is being a bit mean here. He's got a fellow who's come back to say thanks to him. And his reaction, if I got that reaction, I'd be thinking, but I've come back to say thank you. I know the other nine haven't, but I've come back to say thank you. And Jesus' response is, where are the other nine? This story isn't really about the man who's giving thanks. This is about the other nine who didn't. Now, they didn't get everything wrong. We'll have a look at some of the things they got right, but there's something quite funny here. Eventually, then, Jesus gets on to restoring this man and talking to the man, but his first response, his first sight, his first comment is about the other nine. So, um, so if I wanted to write a story, I wouldn't write it like this, but fortunately for you, I don't have to write the Bible, so that's good. Might try sometime. Why did Jesus seem to talk over the head crowd? Why does it matter that he's from Samaria? Um, this is a story about the issue of being ungrateful, not a story, not a story of thankfulness. Um, a little girl was read this story and asked what she thought about it, and she said, um, 
Jesus must have been so happy that someone came back to say thank you. And actually, but, that, it, but that's, that's a really nice idea, but it isn't what happens in the story. It's just not, not the story that we read in Luke. I mean, he doesn't talk to the man directly. He seems to talk over his head. In fact, the, he emphasizes the fact he's a foreigner. <laughs> foreigner. Um, and so uh, I want to I look, at, look at what the nine lepers got right. So the nine lepers, well, they, they, they got the right thing in that Jesus is going by and they're, they're crying out to him. Jesus, master, have mercy on us. That's a, quite a good thing to say to Jesus. And um, Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. In fact, he didn't say, go show yourselves to the priest, but by the way, if you get healed on the way, come back and say thank you to me. He just said go and show yourself to the priest. So they went off and did that. So in a sense, they kind of hadn't got the things wrong. And maybe they were just thinking ahead about everything that they were going to get back to because the whole point was they had to leave their families. They couldn't talk to their families. They had to collect food from points outside of the villages, which people may or may not have left food at. And the food that got left was pretty rotten anyway. So generally, uh, they were looking forward to getting back into life and all of those sorts of things. So they're sort of doing the right thing. But Jesus is pointing out that it's so important to give thanks. So, so why, why does it matter? Well, what I want to, I don't know if you've ever noticed it before, I want to point out that Jesus says, weren't there nine cleansed? Weren't there nine others that were cleansed? And then he goes and says to the man, Go, your faith has made you well. There's a difference between being cleansed and being made well. So those guys had, were about to get back into their real life. Their real life? It had been their real life. But they were about to get back into their society. They'd been cleaned up. They were healed. That is, they'd been made clean. The leprosy had left them. But in coming back to Jesus... The Samaritan was able to experience complete wholeness and healing. There was something deeper that happened for him. The word that's, um, the word that's used to be made well is to be healed of spiritual disease and death, whereas the nine were just to be made clean or healed of a disease. In other words, what's come to the Samaritan man is salvation. He's actually been set free from something that would have locked him up. Thankfulness thankfulness declares what God has done to him. It declares what God has done to others and it declares what God has done to ourselves. We hear our ears saying what our mouth is saying when we give thanks. And that's very important because it enables us to stand in that new position. It's like a recalibration of something in ourselves. So those lepers would have gone back to society, but in not giving thanks in that way, they weren't being free to be the true, truly who God had made them to be after the healing. It's a reorientation, a recalibration of your inner life to live in the reality of God's grace. 
Um, I was listening to something um, by Hugh Osgood I picked up on a CD, and he was talking about how his, his training actually is a, he's a dentist, so he's been mixed, rubbing shoulders with other medics over the years. One of the things about a, a doctor, Ken might, uh, might agree with this or disagree, but what Hugh was saying is whenever doctors come across healing, what they tend to do is they adjust their initial diagnosis. So he was saying that you're kind of obliged to look back at what you said it was because after, you're not, you're not, you're in your training, you're not to look for the miracle. Um, when healing comes to you, it comes from God. Whether someone has operated on you with a knife, whether someone has given you some kind of drug that's rebalanced you, whether someone has, has uh, uh, you've had your plaster cast put on, and whatever it is, all, every good and perfect gift comes from God. And there aren't magic miracles and ordinary miracles. Miracles are God's gift to us. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. So when we get better, when God sorts us out, it's very important that we give thanks for him, whichever route our healing or our wellness has come from. See, it also matters to give thanks because if I'm not busily giving thanks to God, I'm less likely to give thanks for, for others. Um, there are things that people do for us every day. Some people close to us, some people further away. But if I'm busily keeping my head down, trying to survive, then I'm not looking out there to give thanks. And one of the things about that leper who came back is he wasn't caught up in all the religiousness of the other Jews. He, you know, it was important to him to get seen and be approved. So once they'd gone to the priest and someone had said, you're clean, then they could get back involved in life again. That was what was in the, Jews, the Jewish brothers' heads. But the Samaritan was excited about being healed. Not his religious state of being clean, but he was made whole. And, um, and I think that's, that's, that's really important. It's really important for us that as we go through life, that we don't get caught up in keeping our head down, but that we actually are acknowledging the gifts that God has given around us. Yeah, every good and perfect gift. From James 1.17. It's from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, is our, is our impulse to thank others related to our impulse to thank God? What does our gratitude contribute to our being made well? There's something about our deliverance from the hold of something as we give testimony and we give thanks, that releases us to a new way of being. And so, finally, just going back to that verse again. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever I'm doing, am I able to give thanks? Are there parts of my service that I do through gritted teeth? What parts of what I do have become duties? You know, the alternative to a duty is a joy. (laughs) I'd like those, please. I don't want duties. I want joys. Holding back from giving thanks stunts us from knowing, moving from that place of cleansing to that whole healing that he has for us. We were talking there about people that were cast out of society, lepers. You know, sometimes we can feel like we're an outcast without, while being amongst others. We can feel left out. We can feel sore. God wants to heal us, to save us, to set us free. So I want to just, just to recap, I just want us to think about these two main areas, really. Serving. What is God giving you to do? Are you obedient in that? Or are you, are you content to be a passenger on the ship? Is your serving serving to the brim? Or is it, well, he said to fill up the pot, so I can't see why he's told me to do this. I'm just going to kind of slop a bit of water in here and hope, hope something happens. At the end of the day, you end up with half a pot of smelly water, which isn't really much good. But I believe that for some of us, who have been filling to the brim, but have still been feeling like we've had a pot of mucky water, God wants to bring an adjustment to our perception, to adjust the quality of what we've done by a miracle. There was nothing about the servants or the water or even the pots that was special. It was just water. It was just a clay pot And it was just something which Jesus had told us to do, told them to do. The important people didn't even know it, but they got on and did it, and Jesus turned the water into wine. What's God giving you to do that maybe no one else knows about? I think for some of us there could be some things. It might be praying for one another. It might be particularly holding certain people before God. And we don't know the effect that will have. But our satisfaction is knowing that he's called us to do it. And no one else can do that. Only you can do what you've been called to do. And the second area is this attitude of gratitude. God has been healing and delivering many of us. We've talked about uh, the walking free of things. And we've talked about the need to watch out for the for the strike on the heel. And we talked about the importance of being accountable to one another. But you know, a really easy doorway to accountability, which sounds so big and up there somewhere for some of us, is to give thanks. And as you give thanks to one another for what God has done, so it opens a doorway to say, you know you said God had helped you with that. How's that going? And as we act out that attitude of gratitude, it releases wholeness. 
it focuses us back onto Jesus, who's the giver of the gift. And it overflows to others. So, Lord, let's just, let's just pray before him. Lord, we can read these stories as just stories. We can see them as being familiar. Maybe we've even read them before, and, and even sometimes we can grow complacent because of their familiarity. But Lord, in these days, I ask that you give us a fresh revelation, a fresh understanding, a fresh insight to what you're saying to us as a church and for us individually. We don't want to just be caught up in having to do something that looks good. We're content to do things that are unseen but have a dramatic impact. Father, show us those things. Unlock those situations. Lord, give us a heart to serve you, to watch for you, to catch your eye. Hallelujah. And Lord, release that spirit of thankfulness. Lord, we've talked about that over a number of weeks. Uh, Lord, as your word has been bringing forth fruit amongst us, Lord, we want to give you thanks. We want to give you thanks because you are our Father, that you build the church, that you build the church. And Lord, as you have joined us together for this time to become the place where you live by your Spirit, let us not be half-hearted in pursuing you, in pressing in. Lord, lift us up that we might lift you up. Raise our heads that we might see the, the prize you've put before us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen.